Welcome to Her Story, a retelling of the biblical narratives featuring women in scripture with Joanne Guarnieri-Hagemeyer, Grace and Peace Joanne. Eve is possibly the most well-known woman in the Bible, and her story, along with Adam's, provides the bedrock for biblical doctrines on everything from sin to salvation, as well as the theology of women and men, our relationship to each other and to God. Eve's account is so important, so fundamental, that I've taken it in two parts. First was her life in paradise and the serpent's assault of her happiness. Now comes her life as a castaway, living in the wild of a broken earth. And so this is part two. Each story in this series was originally produced as a YouTube presentation, so links to YouTube, to Grace and Peace Joanne blog posts, and to the books I've written are provided below. So now let's go into the second part of Eve's story, how she was cast out from the garden of God, how she gave birth to her first son Cain and other sons in those early years. And finally, we'll look at Christ and the course of Eve's story. And we're about to move into a part of the scriptures which has often been mistranslated. Young's literal comes the closest to a translation that conveys the actual Hebrew, at least in my opinion, but it still misses the mark. As part of my own research, though, I went to a small yet powerful text called The Book of Eden by Bruce C. E. Fleming. It is a very carefully laid out study of Genesis 2 and 3. And for further study, I recommend the True316.com website and also his YouTube site. But let's you and me get back into the scene. Four beings stand in the Garden of Eden. God, the man, the woman, and the serpent. And the woman is stricken. She's crushed in heart and spirit as she realizes she's been deceived and now she stands alone, apart from God and apart from her man. Because the man has shown his shift in loyalty, he cast blame on her and on God while seeking to cover over the serpent's involvement. So God rejected the man's answers and God moved on to the woman's answer and the woman was truthful and humble in her admission. Now, God is about to explain how life itself and life on earth has been altered. God addressed the serpent first. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you did this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than all the animals of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise you on the head and you will bruise him on the heel. And so we see that God cursed the serpent and then announced enmity that God would place between the serpent and the woman, but also a champion who would one day crush the serpent. The serpent, the man, and the woman were all together to hear what God had to say to each of them. The man heard there would be enmity now between the woman and his new ally, the serpent. The woman heard there would be a champion born of a woman who would crush her enemy, the serpent, the one who had deceived her and plunged them both into shame and broken connection. Then God turned to the woman in the hearing of the serpent and the man. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrowful toil and your conception. With effort, you will give birth to children. Your affection is for your husband, but he will rule over you. 
And so now we hear God telling the woman that she would experience sorrowful toil, though God had not yet specified how. God gave further information about the champion by explaining she would have many children. And God described the rupture that had occurred between her and her man. Though her desire and affection would remain on the man, just as the man had desired her and had affection for her when she was first formed, the man would now usurp her position as co-regent with him, because now he was going to rule over her. Then God turned to the man as the serpent and the woman looked on. And to the man he said, Because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In sorrowful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. The man had been eager to blame the woman and God, but God corrected the man. His guilt was his own, for he had chosen not to heed the voice of God. Therefore God explained the earth would now be cursed because of the man. God gave further information on what sorrowful toil meant. Tending the garden had been a joyful cooperation with a responsive earth. Now the earth would vigorously resist them. And finally God said, You will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. So let's just look at the summary of this. The serpent was cursed, for its transgression was the most grievous. The man was not cursed, but because of him the ground was cursed. The man had knowingly, intentionally, deliberately rejected God's instruction and had instead allied himself with the serpent's lying insinuations. The man had not been deceived, but rather transgressed God's command with full intent. So it's through the man that death among humanity was brought into being. The woman was also not cursed, and no curse was spoken because of her either. Of the three, her transgression was the least severe because she had been deceived. Nevertheless, as with the man, she would experience sorrowful toil. Her suffering would increase in the bearing of children and in the rupture between her and her man. And she too would one day return to the dust. Maybe at this point she turned to her man, hoping for some small comfort, but it would not come. For no sooner had God stopped talking than the man started and the first words that came out of his mouth were betrayal and confiscation. What must that have been like for her, when the man did with her as he had with the creatures of the earth? Was she stunned? Was she wounded? Was she desolate? The eyes that had once looked on her with open-hearted love now eyed her in observation. Then the lips that had once cried, Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, set her apart. The man designated her as Eve, the mother of all living, but he retained the name Adam, human being, for himself alone. To our ears today, maybe that sounds like love, but it wasn't. It was ownership instead, and the bruising weight of God's prophecy bore down on her. What had been God's blessing to them both? Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth, Adam now divided. To Eve he designated, Be fruitful and multiply, mother of all living. But to himself went all the rest, the filling of the earth, the subduing of it, having dominion over every living thing, 
because now he added the woman as one he would subdue and have dominion over, the one who was in enmity with the serpent, the one from whom would come a champion to crush the serpent. I think of Eve's deepening sorrow as God slaughtered innocent animals for their sakes, as God took her sown leaves away and now wrapped her in the dead animal skins, her horror as God cast them out, both of them, from the beautiful garden, because the tree of life was now to be barred from them. So God had spoken, so it would be. From dust they had come, and to dust they had no choice left but to return. Nevertheless, though sin carries lasting consequences, God provides hope in the Savior. In the midst of unimaginable catastrophe, horrific loss, the crushing of her heart and spirit, Eve secured her hope on God's promise. And that brings us to Cain and the other sons Eve had in those early years. Even though more tragedy was yet to come, because Eve's last story involves the loss of her first two sons, Cain and Abel, still, as the chapter opens, we see Adam and Eve picking up the shards of their broken lives and beginning to build a new life out of the hard scrabble of a cursed ground. And the story begins from Eve's perspective. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Discounting Adam's involvement, Eve claimed full credit with the Lord for her achievement in bringing forth the third human being into their world. This name is probably to be understood as a play on words. The significance of this first child's, this first son's name is in reflection of Eve's faith because it sounds similar to the word, the Hebrew word, kana, which means to get or to acquire. In today's vernacular, this son would probably have been named something like gotten. Eve literally said, I have gotten a man, even the Lord, referring to God's promise. Remember God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise you on the head, and you will bruise him on the heel. It seems as though Eve understood the seed would be conceived by God in a woman, not by way of a human father. Eve had no idea how long it would be before this promise would be fulfilled. So when her first child was a boy, she must have thought, he's the one. Millennia later, the Apostle Paul would write of these births, woman originating in man, but ever since man originating from woman, and even the Christ, our salvation, coming through a woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, but all things come from God. Out of Adam's body had come Eve, his powerful Ezer Konegdo, rescuer in strength. And now, out of Eve's body had come, or so she thought, her Ezer, the one who would crush the serpent and restore all creation to the light and beauty of its origins and destiny. Once again, she must have thought, the man and the woman would make their home in Eden, and now they could eat of the tree of life, and they could raise up their generations in the joy of the Lord. And perhaps she thought, I'll chop down that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I'll just make mulch of it, and I'll plow it right into the earth as they tended the garden. But as Cain grew up, it's possible Eve began to see he was not going to be the champion she thought he would be. She had another son, Abel, and this time she acknowledged Adam's involvement. As the boys grew into men, Cain became jealous of his brother, and particularly of God's favor on Abel, 
even though Cain's stance before God was diffident at best. He had an entrenched sense of entitlement, and he expected God's approval without ever offering God his own respect or reverence. Cain did not take heed of God's warning. He seemed to have no concern for God's concern, and eventually he murdered his brother. He complained at God's judgment, and finally Cain left his family and his clan to seek his fortune far away from God and the people of God. How that must have devastated Eve, the trauma of losing her gentle second son to hate and to violence, and the hurt of losing her oldest son through his rejection and abandonment. But the mother of all living, with what little she had left within her, chose to cling to God and to God's prophetic promise. And so the scriptures say, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another child instead of Abel, because Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. And at that time people began to invoke the name of the Lord. One day God would send an Ezer, a Savior, who would rescue them all from the corruption, evil, and death that they had sown into the world. God answers those who call upon the Lord. And these are the very last words of Eve's story launching the source stories of all humanity, anguish and loss, paired with faith in God and hope. But now we come to Christ and the course of Eve's story. From Eve has come us all, men and women throughout time, all of humanity. And from her story comes all of our stories, and especially women's stories. From Eve came every woman in the book Broken, Searching, Trusted, Powerful series. And a piece of her story is in each of their stories as well. Think of Eve standing with every parent who wrings heartbroken hands over their child, with every lover who is crushed by their beloved, with every person wrongly accused, every innocent who is deceived, every victim of wrong decisions. Think of Eve beside Mary, who gave birth to the one who crushed the serpent's head. And now... Think of Eve standing in a garden beside a tree as the Savior of the world speaks softly. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? In writing his gospel, the Apostle John showed how God brought the beginning of creation into the new beginning of a new creation because John began his gospel with the first lines of Genesis 1. Then he ended his gospel back in the garden, restoring each of the ruptured relationships caused by humankind's rejection of God, the reign of death, the rule of man over woman, and the broken bond between God and humanity. So let's take a look at that together. Remember, God had explained to the man that he and the woman would return to the dust from which they had been formed, from which he had been formed. And then God cast both humans out of the Garden of Eden and barred their access to the Tree of Life and ensured their days would be numbered. The final act of the Genesis creation stories was to certify the finality of death for all humanity. The first act in John's resurrection story in the dark just before the dawn, Mary of Magdala enters the garden where Jesus' dead body has been entombed. 
See, that's where we leave Genesis 3. Humankind is dead. Yet upon arrival, she discovers Jesus is gone. And for the reader and hearer alike, this is the signal that light and life have once again entered the world in a new way. In the next scene, based upon Mary's report, Peter and John also run into the garden. Two men and a woman witness the first mighty restoration Jesus has accomplished. The tomb is empty. Remember when God said the incomplete nature of humanity was not good? To truly reflect the image of God, humankind would need community, a plurality and relationship because God is three in one. This led to God's forming of the woman from the man's body, that they might be of the same essence, one flesh and one spirit or breath, yet also community as is God. God's description of the woman makes use of two Hebrew words, ezer, to rescue, to save, and also to be strong, and konegdo, meaning fit or corresponding to. And remember that by putting these two words together, they could be translated as God saying, I will make a power or strength corresponding to the man. God would make for the man a woman fully his equal and fully his match, and together with God they would form a flourishing, vibrant community in the very image and likeness of God. And then God had given the same blessing and command to both the woman and the man, a mutual concern and responsibility, a shared commission to govern the earth, with united commitment to each other that reflects God's own eternal being of equal deity, power, and purpose. When the rupture in Genesis 3 tore apart all the connectedness humanity had with God and each other and the earth, God knew what man's imbalanced urge to rule over would do to women, and really to all people, as the cruelties embedded in hierarchical rule by imperfect human beings over the less able would do. So God gave a note of hope, even as the Lord described the devastation to come. A champion would be brought forth from the seed of the woman. And John's Gospel makes a point of portraying Jesus, including women, as his disciples and his students and supporters. Now, in this garden, the resurrected Jesus reinstated Mary of Magdala as an Ezer Konegdo, as a power or strength with a message of salvation, Ezer, to the brothers, the eleven, as well as all the male disciples, and in particular, to the two disciples, Peter and John, who had first accompanied her to the garden. This is reminiscent of Adam and Eve, and later of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and later still of Judge Deborah and General Barak, and so on throughout the scriptures. Jesus now positioned Peter and John, who would become leaders in the church, with Mary of Magdala, who would be one of the women up in the upper room, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the good news on the day of Pentecost. In Genesis, God breathed into the nostrils of the newly formed human the breath of life, transforming the clay form into a living being. The sharing of breath between God and the human was already there in the woman because she had been formed from the body of the man. She was formed as a living being because she shared the same essence as the man, both flesh and spirit, which originally came from the breath of God. And when God presented the woman to the man, she was as a living, breathing being, as his Ezer Konegdo. And this bond, this shared spirit, is displayed in all its fullness, right there at the end of Genesis 2, 
where the man and the woman were portrayed as naked, completely transparent and vulnerable to each other, and to God, yet unashamed, clothed in glorious light. Their sense of shame and fear, in Genesis 3, illustrated how the bond had now been ruptured. They no longer shared intimacy as they once did, not with God and not with each other. This is the rupture Jesus now proclaimed restored when he presented God as both my father and your father, my God and your God. Later, Jesus would breathe on his disciples, and in the Greek it permits both women and men being present, just as God had once breathed the breath of life into the newly formed human and then enjoined them to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus has fully restored women and men from the rupture of Genesis 3. We think of Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus, as God's fulfillment of the prophecy God gave to Eve, and she was. But there is another part of that fulfillment that happened in the garden at the end of John's Gospel. Just as the woman Eve was at the center of the rupture, so now another woman was at the center of the threefold restoration Jesus brought about in his resurrection. From the rupture of the reign of death to the restoration of Jesus' victory over death. From the rupture of wrongful rule of man over the Ezer Konegdo to Jesus' reinstatement of woman's equality with man as Ezer Konegdo. From the ruptured relationship with God revealed to Jesus giving the woman the gospel to share, my father, your father, my God, you are God. And then later, Jesus breathing the spirit over the disciples. As the narrative of her creation and union with Adam and the disastrous circumstances of the serpent's deception and the breakdown of all that Eve held dear is translated and interpreted down through the millennia, our own stories today are shaped. To get Eve's story right is to lay a firm foundation for all the other stories of women and men in the scriptures. Jesus has freed us. We are no longer enslaved to sin and corruption, to the fear of death or the fear of each other, really, either. Women have been rightfully restored to the blessing and commission God has given to all humanity. Let us now reflect that truth and live as equals in the liberty of love Jesus holds out to us today. Another woman who has long been misunderstood is not even named in the account of her story though her husband is instantly recognizable, Job. What did she actually say to her husband? And how did her words affect the outcome of this famous biblical narrative? Let's find out in the upcoming podcast, The Wife of Job.